week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Mike City Sons by Heatmiser. Of what I've heard so far, it would be my favorite Elliot Smith record. They sound like Sebado songs. He sounds a lot like Lou Barlow to me. That's what you know. Music's all about. It's it's not grungy. I mean, it's got like no. a classic rock feel in parts of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minichi, and joining me once again. My intrepid co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are knee-deep in the listeners' suggestions. And we actually have a suggestion from someone who was a guest of the podcast this episode. You want to take a gander who that was? If you remember, uh, last season, Ben London of Uh. Alcohol Funny Car was interviewed by Chip Midnight for the show. Chip joined us to review the Alcohol Funny Car album. Well, on Twitter, Ben London suggested, hey, why don't you guys check out Heat Miser and their album Mike City Sons? And we just so happened to also get an email from David Gorgos, who suggested a few albums in the past, and he said the same thing. So here we are. We're going to check out Heat Miser and the album Mike City Sons. So, Jay, we're going to have a special announcement coming this Friday. It's going to be about our 2013 season. There's going to be some changes. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Get the horns fired up and uh, stick around. Keep your iTunes feed clear. Get ready. This Friday is going to be a special episode coming right at you. Keep hitting refresh. Yeah, keep keep hitting refresh because it's coming. So let's get back to this episode. Now, Jay... Heatmiser is known as being the band that Elliot Smith was in before he was Elliot Smith, dude who wrote songs for Goodwill Hunting and stabbed himself with a knife. But were you familiar with Heatmiser? I was not, no. I mean, I I knew the band existed, I guess, after he became popular. I heard the name at some point, but uh, I had never gone back and listened to him. That's funny. Neither had I. And I consider myself a pretty big Elliot Smith fan, uh, especially... Last couple records. I, I'm not a huge fan of the first two, which is right around the air. He started releasing those while he was still in Heat Miser. But I really enjoy like the Figure Eight record and XO and and those. And I, I kind of think those are modern classics in a way. Uh, what? Oh, and it's also How I Met My Wife, which she just screamed from downstairs. Uh, should I tell that story briefly? I will. So uh, my wife and I met through an internet dating service, which will remain nameless because they're not paying me to promote their service. But let's just say they matched us up. And you had to put a little quote on your profile. Like, or you could just, it was just a blank space, like, put a quote here. You could put a literary quote or whatever you want. And I put a quote from Nellie Smith's song. And my wife was looking at profiles, also looking for. Uh, you know, someone to be matched up with, and she found my profile and saw that I had an Elliot Smith quote, and she contacted me. And that's how we oh. met. And then, you know, years later, we're married and have a newborn, and everything worked out for the best, thanks to Elliot Smith. It's an interesting screening process. Mm-hmm. She must have thought a serial killer would never listen to Elliot Smith. Exactly. No serial killer is going <laughs> to listen to Elliot Smith. Far too. It's far too <laughs> introspective. <laughs> So, 
Let's talk about Elliot because Smith's. He's, he's too depressing. He would have this year would have just killed himself. True. <laughs> he wouldn't have been motivated enough to kill anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Heat Miser and the history of the band. History of the band. So Heat Miser formed in 1991 by Elliot Smith and Neil Gust at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. They were originally from Portland, Oregon, so after they graduated, they returned to Portland, and they were joined by bassist Brant Peterson and drummer Tony Lash. They released their first album, which was called Dead Air, in September of 1993 on Frontier Records. The second album, Cop and Speeder, was released also on Frontier Records in 1994. In August of 1994... Brand Peterson left the band, and he was replaced by Sam Coombs. That name is might be familiar to some people. Around this time, uh, tension started to develop between Elliot Smith and Neil Gust, because Elliot Smith, instead of releasing material with re- releasing material with Heat Miser, started releasing solo records. He released Roman Candle and his self-titled album. The band signed to Virgin Records, and this is where the history gets a little foggy. So. According to one website, their third album, Mike City Sons, was released in October of 1996 on Caroline Records, but it was originally slated to be released on Virgin. But because of the band troubles, they basically knew they were going to break up. So because they had a contract with Virgin, Virgin said, you know what, we're just going to release it on Caroline and get it out there and not put a lot of promotion behind it. And that basically was when the band broke up. Now, I've also heard that they actually had plan to release another full length that never came out and that was the album that virgin nixed and that this album was supposed to come out on caroline in the same way that like the first smashing pumpkins record came out on caroline before coming out the second one came out on virgin it was sort of like a you know a test release one like i said wikipedia says one thing all music says another blah 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 that's what that's what we got to deal with so I mentioned Sam Coombs. Coombs went on to form Quasi. Well, he went on to form. He was already in Quasi as a side project, but it went on to become his full-time band. And um, I don't know if anybody's listened to Quasi. It's very weird and eclectic. I've listened to about half their records, and some of it's really cool and some of it's annoying. Uh, And then later played with Built to Spill. Now, Tony Lash, who is the producer of the album we're reviewing, as well as the drummer, uh, he went on to do production and engineer work for the dandy warhols and a band you're a fan of jay low gold oh cool neil gust released two albums with a band called number two and then elliot smith released three additional solo albums before his death which was originally ruled a suicide but has never been a closed has never been closed so that case is actually still open because somehow um he stabbed himself twice apparently which Mm. why the case is still open it's actually a really interesting there are lots of news articles that have been written uh, in retrospect over the years about the case, and it's it's a pretty interesting case. I would suggest people Google Elliot Smith's death to read about it. And there's been one release after his death uh, from a beacon on the hill or something like that, which was material that he had not quite finished. So that is most of the information that I have for Heat Miser. I'm sure that there's more out there. It was just a touched on the basic stuff. We did get some Facebook feedback. 
on this record. A lot of people were happy that we were uh, checking out this record. And we got some people commenting. Dimitri Dumitri said, This album is mandatory for Elliot Smith fans. This is the most Elliot Smith sounding album by Heat Miser. Probably the best, but the previous one is also also interesting because it's good to hear him sing on heavier, almost grungy sounding tracks. So I would be interested to hear that because I have not heard uh, Elliot Smith sing over grungy tracks. Although he does uh, get a little, there's some stuff that gets a little rock in here, and we'll and we'll get into that. But um, Jay, you mentioned that you had not gone back and listened to Heat Miser. I had also never gone back and listened to Heat Miser. Now that you have, do you think that this? Well, first of all, where I need to take your temperature on Elliot Smith. Where, what, what sort of, where, where are you on the Elliot okay. Smith, uh, you know, on the Elliot Smith dial? Are you a, are you a huge fan? Do you kind of like him, or do you, don't, don't really care? You, you know, I, if I'm in the mood for it, I love it. Um, but I got to be in the mood for. It. He's not the kind of artist for me that I can just throw in any time and really get into it. <laughs> oh, um, I, I'm there with you. Know, you his yeah. solo records are pretty. Um, at least my memory of them are pretty specific, you know, they're very specific mood and tempo and feel to them. And, mm-hmm. uh, so when I'm in the mood, yeah, for sure. And obviously I think they worked, uh, really well over, over top of a movie. So yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate it. So going back and hearing this, hearing a little bit of a different sound from Elliot Smith and some songs, as well as. Hearing Neil Gust, what's your take on Heat Miser? It's uh, to me, it's probably. It, I would say, of what I've heard so far, it would be my favorite Elliot Smith record because you get those moments of him, you know, his signature vocal style, his signature sort of sentiment, and uh, the, the the acoustic and sort of the just the way that the songs are constructed. But then you get these other moments. It's almost paced on off on off you know in terms of uh, you know the album starts off with something that would be a little bit more atypical of uh, Elliot Smith but still his voice let me put you in the play down all the days cast for your time a sucker in the line to be told you're so goes in the plain clothes man with his which i would consider pretty expected for him and then mm-hmm. it goes in the low flying jazz which is you know different so it kind of goes back and forth between what you expect from him and and some other flavors and it and it you know, overall i think what i like about that is it brings to light some lightness to his material that i don't find on his solo records and some swagger this record's got like 
particularly on a song like Get Lucky, the opening track, it's got this just really cool uh, drum feel to it and just overall kind of swagger almost in the kind of how the, you know, Tom Petty or Rolling Stones or, you know, just great bands like that. They just have a feel to them. And the, you know, the parts they're playing when you break them down aren't technically that complicated, but just because, you know, the way the drummer plays and the way they put everything together, it just has a very particular, very cool, unique kind of feel vibe to it. And there's, you know, a good handful of songs on here where that that's captured. And, I, and you know, that's to me, that's what, you know, music's all about. That's, you know, you can't uh, you can't replicate that. It's about a particular group of people getting together and playing and um, and, and capturing that. So and the, I guess that's particularly interesting because, you know, the band was obviously not getting along that well. Yeah, <laughs> this record, but. I don't know that you. I don't know that you could tell by listening listening to it, other than sort of the shifts in the material, kind of in the way that maybe you know an Uncle Tupelo album would would shift back and forth between the two songwriters. Now, I'm assuming that there's two songwriters in this band, even two singers. Am I right about that? Yeah, Neil Gust is singing half the songs. Yeah. Okay, he's singing like track three, Low Flying Jets, track six, Eagle Eye, track seven, right. Cruel Reminder, and track ten, Blue Highway. All those, all those songs, they sound like Sebado songs. He sounds a lot like Lou Barlow to me. Yep, I would agree. And not that they sound bad, but I just thought that they—that's that, what I was thinking. It, it almost reminded me in the way that, you know, some of the, the Lou Barlow, Jason Lowenstein split, where Jason Lowenstein tended to write the more aggressive stuff, and Lou Barlow, in a lot of ways, wrote some of the more introspective songs like Ocean or Willing to Wait and stuff like that. It was. I was kind of expecting that same thing here, but Elliot Smith does get to rock out, and it's weird that you use the word swagger because that's actually what I wrote up for the first song as well. It has a swagger to mm-hmm. it. It's completely unexpected from the mm-hmm. from from a Elliot Smith song. It's got a gang chorus, which is I yeah. was just like, what is going on? <laughs> I love the vocal exchanges that go on in that song. You know, just the two voices and just the difference in delivery and kind of just the it just sounds kind of casual and I don't know just you know what I mean it just sounds like Mm -hmm. fun like a bunch of people in the room just having fun writing a song well one of the things that I picked up on that I guess I never really thought of when I was listening to the Elliott Smith records but it becomes a lot more apparent when you're hearing him on certain songs sing and then certain songs not sing is that a lot of times his guitar parts are the same melody as his vocal hmm and he, I guess he does that with other instruments on the, on the Elliot on the solo records, mm-hmm. but he'll do these like little licks on his guitar, and it'll perfectly match up with the vocal melody there. And it's not in the same way that like, you know, you would like like Weezer will play a will play or you know Rivers Cuomo will play like a solo that matches his vocal melody for the chorus. It's just it's like as he's playing, the way that he's picking, he's picking the notes the same notes that he's singing. And it's a really interesting thing because Neil Gust doesn't do that, so it becomes really apparent when Elliot Smith is doing it. Everybody's second home, always trying to get me alone, an easy way to lose it all. Always selling all those fails over by the west side rail.
say the things you say Please turn out the light I get a sick confusion headache Trying to figure out who's right Dreaming on the silver screen Waking up your plain clothes men He doesn't do it on every song, especially the more up-tempo stuff he doesn't do it. But the more mid-tempo and slower stuff, he, he's, he does that a lot. And I, it was, it's a little trick that like really emphasizes the melody of the song. Yeah, and that's that what I, really I liked. sort of meant when I was trying to describe what his sound is, is you know, that, that, that combination of the, the vocal. I think he doubles himself a lot and he kind of sings in that falsetto and then he's combining, you know, the, the, like saying, the matching the, the guitar line with the vocal. And there's just a very, some very distinct techniques that he uses and mm-hmm. um I, i'm guessing the first record where you start to really hear those come out so it's a i, I enjoy the contrast though i mean uh, how, do you do you like the contrast between sort of the sebado sounding stuff and then the you know the elliot smith stuff and then there's i mean there's a couple songs in here where i think they they blend the two together a little bit more mm-hmm. but you like that i i do uh i just i felt like neil gust's stuff was a little more generic I guess, mm. and I not that it's bad, but I, because I'm so familiar with Sebado, that I was just like, oh, this sounds like Sebado. Which for the, I mean, this came out in you know 1996. We're not dealing with like uh, this is. I guess that would be the Sebado like Harmacy album. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't, or I'm not the hugest Sebado fan. I mean, I like them, but I think there's a lot of, especially in the earlier stuff, I don't particularly care for. Uh, the lower, the lo-fi stuff, which is probably the stuff that's the, <laughs> the more liked and well-respected stuff, as opposed to the, um, the later albums. But I don't necessarily always, you know, align with popular critical opinion. But they were like they were fine songs. But I just felt like I've kind of heard this. Whereas when mm-hmm. I hear Elliot Smith sing, I always hear something that's uniquely him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really sound like anybody else. I mean, you can say like there are elements like his playing and his vocal and the way he phrases things. I mean, you got to take it back to like, you know, the Beatles and and the 60s and stuff like that. Like that's where he's really sort of coming from. But there's really no contemporaries of what he was doing either on this or in his solo records. So it's just I think it's a matter of Elliot Smith is so and especially on this record, he's. He's so on it that like the stuff that that Gus is doing is fine, but it's like it's just a little bit below what Elliot Smith is doing. And I liked, you know, all four of the songs that Neil Gust 
I highlighted them as being the better songs on the record, but when you get like Get Lucky and Planes Closed Man and The Fix Is In and See You Later, I mean, those are just like perfect Elliott Smith songs. And I really like a song like Pop and G where he opens up a little bit and does some dynamics and some things that are, you know, it's, it's more of a rocking song. It's more mm-hmm. of a pop song. I love the uh, and that song that really um, exemplifies it. This album is so restrained in the best possible way. So if you listen to that song Pop and G, you know a lot of bands would play that pretty much full out. You know what I mean? Like let the chords mm-hmm. ring, turn up the distortion, really lay into it. And if you really listen to it, they're not. They're like really measured in how they play. Right, uh, you know their dynamics are very restrained, very controlled. I mean, he's really, you know, they really hold it back, and then they find, you know, when they bring it up and kind of open up a little bit and and get some more volume, they're still, you know, not fully, you know, cranking on the guitars and stuff. They're still, you know, sort of in a middle space, but it still comes across with fullness and it conveys the right energy. You know what I mean? Like I think a lot of bands think they really need to go over the top to convey that. And they're seeing somehow they're able to convey it even more effectively by restraining themselves. It's, it's really, really interesting. And, and part of that I think is the, the production on this album, which I love. It's very John Bryan esque at times in terms of how they, bring instruments in and out and use keyboards and interesting effects and uh, on the guitars and how the drums sound. I mean, the drum sound is really, really strong on this record. It carries a lot of the, the songs and they kind of can just drape other instruments around it. And nothing has to get super loud. You know, they can kind of just layer some things together and it gets really full and conveys what they want to convey without having to just, you know, crank the, the, the amp all the way up and play big, uh, big loud distorted guitar. Yeah, it makes me interested to want to go back to the record that Dimitri was referencing that has, I guess, a more grungy sound because I'm wondering if they basically made that record and then figured out how to refine the sound to still carry that dirtiness but without too much overdrive and so that's not really heavy on distortion but you still get like a dirtiness to it. Because I think like that's the thing I like about Get Lucky is that you could have easily 
turn that into a big messy you know swirling guitar track and really it's uh, the bass is carrying that it's got that you know driving bass line and the guitar sort of like locked in with it very easily could have been just a, a wash and distortion but they mm-hmm. it's really restrained and it's like you said it could have gone overboard in a lot of parts of this record but i'm wondering if they basically learned you know from that record if they decided they wanted to dial it back a little bit to bring more emphasis to other instruments yeah i mean it really sounds like the producer just took over with this band for this record potentially and just really taught them how to how to do this or god they you know they spent a ton of time working this out and which seems strange since they you know history is pretty much saying they knew they were done when they were in the process of making this record it's just right it's hard to piece together in your head because it just sounds like a band that's just so in tune with each other it, it just it's it's very very interesting in that respect in looking back now this this came out in 1996 and we already talked about there were some label issues at the time you know why didn't this get more attention at the time i know there were people who were familiar with heat miser sort of that portland scene that was going on was secondary to the Seattle scene, most definitely. But yeah. there were some bands that were popular that were that were making some headway in in the mid '90s. Do you think that for one that it's a two person band, which I always feel like was a little bit difficult in terms of how to market this record? It, it seems like it would be a difficult mm-hmm. record to. It was like you mentioned, like the the petty and the sort of like the. I don't know more it's it's not grungy i mean it's got like no. a classic rock feel in parts of it yeah. so and i mentioned the sebado but it's it's kind well, of a weird some, record there are some moments where it you know it starts to feel a little country-ish um mm-hmm. they don't get into the obvious things that some other bands did and really you know kind of step over the line to where they could be put into that genre that that may have actually helped them. You know, one record that I thought of a lot when I listened to this for some reason was the the Jayhawks Son of Lies. Hmm. Um, I don't know why it just kept it just felt like that record to me. For something about just the the mood of it and the, I don't know the production of it maybe or just I don't know the state of mind was just pretty much the same for me. Um, and that came out in '97, so that, you know it's about the same time that all that stuff was going on and those bands were kind of had a little scene, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. so I think this band gets close to there, but not quite close enough. And in terms of their career, maybe they would have been better off had they went ahead and, you know, put maybe put a pedal steel or (laughs) whatever it took to get it just a little bit closer, you know, to that stuff. And it it maybe became easier to market. You know, they could have been, uh, lumped in with some of those bands, toured with some of those bands. They may have anyway, but you know, it may have just given them an audience. Right. Um, I think on that point, they probably just had a little bit of a hard time finding an audience because they weren't, they're so, they were very earnest. And it's also kind of a time when stuff started to get a little bit silly. Then, you know, you sort of had, you know, YouTube was doing the more of the pop stuff. And it's sort of like the 90s. The dark 90s either went post-grunge and became like a parody of itself or you had bands like Presidents of the United States or Smash Mouth or whatever. And you had this, you know, this other thing where it was sort of 
goofy and not really very serious. And this man was like very earnest and right, very honest and, and you know, probably a hard time to look at that. So for your rating for this record, are you at an album, uh, better EP or decent single? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm at an album. It's an interesting, interesting in that my, in my first listen, I would really gravitated towards the non Elliot Smith songs or the Elliot Smith songs, the couple on here where he, you know, doesn't sound typical of himself. Um, the more I listened to it, the more I liked his material, <laughs> it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the less I liked, you know, the the other, what's the other guy's name? Neil Gus. Neil Gus song. So, like, you know, first listen, I really liked Low Flying Jets. But as I listened to the album more and more, I was like, eh, yeah, that song's not as good as I thought it was. Like, I kind of got into the, the the shift in energy that that, that mm-hmm. his material had. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, you know, they all start really good and kind of just don't go anywhere. Um, and the old Smith songs, as, as I analyzed, listen to them deep, you know, deeper and, and more thoroughly. What I like about them is that they all st- go somewhere and in some places that I hadn't heard him go on his on his solo material. So, um, you know, I think it's a, I, I want to give it a full album just because it's shifting and and it's making me want to listen to it more and more and sort of you know go on a journey. But uh, I definitely like different songs now than I did the first time I listened to it, which is strain yeah i'm i'm with you um i'm i'm at an album i'm at eight songs and i'm split i got four neil gus songs and four elliot smith songs that i like so i i I appreciate what they're both doing i think i'm interested to both check out the earlier heat miser stuff but i'm also interested to check out what neil gus did on his own because i like his voice and i like his songwriting but i'd like to hear i'd like to see you know away from this band what what does he sound like you know afterwards obviously i'm already familiar with all the elliot smith stuff so i don't really need to explore that much anymore i've just was sampling the uh, the previous two albums and the first record is dramatically different okay like so different that when i was sampling it i was certain that it was a different band (laughs) but apparently it's not it's a well you know all distorted guitar totally different approach and uh, even the vocals sound different so it's uh definitely it looks like between the three albums that there's a clearly a progression here between one two and three which is always fun to go back and explore so jay this is the part where we say uh we ask if you like what this episode uh was all about that you should leave us some positive feedback and uh we prefer that you put it on our itunes page because it helps us in the itunes rating well, we got some iTunes feedback. Oh, yes, we did. Uh, Erica West left us some feedback on iTunes. Now, she gave us five stars, but I'm going to read you verbatim what she had to say because this is interesting. All right, so sit down, Jay. Have a warm glass of something because it's going to take a little while. <laughs> Though they seem to get their band histories straight off of Wikipedia, they present an entertaining listen. I certainly don't agree with them much, but they are at least informed enough about music in general to be able to back up what they say, and I can certainly appreciate that. So we have two insults in the first <laughs> first two sentences. I, I'm fascinated with the Wikipedia thing. I don't. What do people think we're going to do on some of these bands? Like, how would we possibly 
get the history of Scarfo without using Wikipedia or all music? How would we possibly do that? Right. Actually, that's not too insults. It's 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 it, it's more of a, um, backhanded compliments, I guess you'd say. I, so I'll, I think I'm going to get. We Go should. Ahead. You should have flown to uh, London to re- to and spend months researching the and talking to the family members of the the members of Scarfa. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I might be a little more interesting interesting in. Wait a minute. One thing that I might be a little more interesting is to take on bands rather than just albums. That way, we as listeners can get a much fuller picture of what happened within the band musically. Plus, it would seriously cut down on the albums in your queue. Lastly, band histories seem a bit odd when you're typically just looking at a band for a moment in time and not their whole career. Overall, I really like this podcast, and I'm glad that my search on God Machine pulled it up. Remember God Machine, Jay? Yeah. By the way, you are wrong on them, and I can and you can never <laughs> convince me otherwise. Keep up the great work. So, basically, I don't remember what we said about them. I think we we gave them both. A, I think we gave it a EP or a single rating, and yeah. so they sounded yeah. a lot like Jane's Addiction. We're not loving it, but yeah. Uh, okay, I want to address the the album versus band, the entire band. Look, if if we're doing a band like Heat Miser. It might be considered possible to do three albums, although Jay and I do have lives. So to do three <laughs> albums for one episode, that would take a lot of time for us. Yeah. But imagine if like we've done bands that have put out like six or seven albums. So how would we do that? I mean, we would be spending four hours on a podcast trying to get through all of the, the music that we'd want to talk about. I, trust me, we did discuss this before getting into this venture you know, we're going to talk about the history of the band, but we're going to only talk about one album and how's that going to work. And, you know, if we go back to do a second album by a band, are we going to repeat the history again? Or are we just going to go ahead and skip that and just get to the album review? You know, we haven't we haven't crossed that bridge yet. We haven't gotten to a second album by any particular band. We might do that next year. There are some albums by bands we've already done where it'd be nice to go and check out their second or first album or whatever. But uh, we're we're not there yet, so and it's entirely possible that we might do this podcast for ten years and never hit the a, a second album by any band. <clears throat> well, that, you know that's one of the reasons why we, I think we picked album is because it just gives you so much more material. And uh, you know, yeah. if we choose at some point to go back and do two albums from a band, then you know we have um, we have some material there, there to work with. We can go back and listen to our original episode and see how you know. Maybe our opinions changed about the band, or maybe we could talk about the progression. So I, th- I don't know. I just think there's a lot more possibilities yeah. there if we just focus on one album at a time. Yeah, I will say I do appreciate you know the constructive criticism, and I like the people who don't necessarily agree with us at least think that we know what we're talking about. When <laughs> most of the time, um, yes. we don't. So, thank you, Erica. Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving us feedback, and uh, we appreciate that we really do it's it's fun to read stuff like that so uh if you want to leave some feedback for us go right ahead head on over to itunes and uh, we'd be happy to read yours on the air as well Uh, i think that's it jay oh you know what we didn't do Uh, just real quickly i was going to mention the national is a band that i think that if that people might be if they listen to the national now and they've never listened to heat miser i think they could go listen to the heat miser agree or disagree yeah, 
Yeah, I, I could I could get on board with that. Okay, great. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Just to find you.